Will. Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome to another edition of Future Sox Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. I'm joined tonight by Nick Murawski and Danny Miller. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, you know, a lot going on in the, in the world these days, and uh, wasn't sure if I was going to make it tonight. So, uh, you know, just happy to be here with you guys, man. How are you doing, Nick? Yeah, it feels good to feel good. Uh, surviving so far the, the great big melt uh, here in the Chicagoland area. But, you know, fingers crossed. Um, boy, it could get scary. Yeah, those roads, man. <laughs> Jeez Louise. It's like a little, mm. little tiny, you know, layer of ice everywhere. Uh, super aggravating. Um, man, the roads. Just getting in my truck this morning was uh, an adventure. Yeah. No and the fog. Yes. Um, so one thing that is not going to melt the ice is the White Sox trade market. And uh, I know everybody's pretty much tired of talking about the uh, <laughs> the cease trade market or lack of trade market. Um, some rival execs, uh, you know, uh, quote unquote, sources have said that Dylan Cease will be staying put for the season. Um, where are you at on that, Nick? Uh, you know, I, I, part of me is just like, wait, wake me up when he gets traded. Uh, if not, I'll, I'll see him on March 28th, a uh, frigid March 28th at 35th and Shields. Uh, you know, it really depends on, I think, what they're trying to do. Obviously, the, the biggest asset, and if you're going to flip this team and rebuild the rebuild, uh, he's got to go, um, not because I think he had a down year last year, and I think he is uh, a crappy pitcher because he does not. He's not going to wear a White Sox uniform past this current contract. Uh, yes, there's time. There's absolutely time. There doesn't need to be a, a rush. And if Chris Getz hasn't found whatever he's he's looking for. Um, I, I don't know if he's being too picky. I mean, he should be picky, right? I mean, he's got uh, he's got an outstanding arm, and the the risk obviously is could he get hurt? You know, going into the season, if you're going to wait till the trade deadline, but a guy that's been very reliable throughout his career, taking the ball every five days, could all of a sudden something happen? Which, or could he just you know he doesn't pick up? Uh, from you know, kind of the, the off year he had last year. He doesn't rebound, and maybe we're not getting uh, potentially the, the haul that we want. Uh, all eyes are, of course, on Chris Getz on this move. But, you know, wait, I guess. You know, I, I, they're not going anywhere in 2024. Even if you keep Cease, I honestly don't think you're, you're, you're going for the division. So it's just another week of... Uh, you know, what teams are kind of in it and, you know, what, what is Chris Getz doing? I'm getting kind of tired of it. What do you think, Danny? Uh, I have two uh, kind of mirroring. Well, I should say uh, thoughts that play along with each other, but one is, is I don't believe that Dylan Cease is going to be in a white Sox uniform all season. Number one, you know, for the beginning of the season, sure, I'll buy that. Uh, that's been something that's been tossed around by a lot of folks that, you know, maybe the White Sox hang on to him uh, and hope that they can flip him for something if he has, uh, you know, a good first half. Obviously, 
you take the first half away, and that's less uh, service time that he can play for somebody else. But if he has a really good first half, maybe you parlay that into a better haul. I don't really know. Uh, then the other part of that is, is you know, <laughs> seeing him. Oh, let's just say I want to go back and t- and talk about you know what Nick said, where you're talking about somebody who's been serviceable and, and, and has not really had much of an injury injury history. You know, minor little things and nicks here and there, maybe miss a start here and there, but no big deal. Uh, don't you put that stank voodoo on Dylan Cease right now when we're hoping maybe we can flip him number one. Uh, you know, number two is I think that leans into what the White Sox, uh, you know, kind of are asking for him and everybody's saying that it's a high asking price. And I think maybe rival executives are kind of throwing those terms out there to maybe hopefully curtail the White Sox hopes and what they might get in return. You know, we know that there are a handful of ball clubs, if not all ball clubs out there that use the media to kind of push their agenda, right? You know, I see you shaking your head over there, but you know, the White Sox have been really no well known to do it with Bob Nightingale. Teams and agents but- never do that. Right. The, the, the agenda might not, is not being pushed at all, right, through the media. But unfortunately, we kind of all know anybody with uh, any type of critical thought kind of can see that that's a thing that happens on, on the regular. And I, I kind of hope maybe it's all just a little bit of conjecture at this point and, you know, people trying to teams in general trying to push back on uh, the White Sox asking price and hoping that uh, maybe that comes back a little bit. And I'm glad that, you know, Chris Getz in his infancy as a GM is not wavering on that. Uh, you know, there are a lot of reasons to uh, think that uh, Dylan Cease is worth just about everything they're asking for him. I, I don't know if it's worth getting into the mindset of Dylan Cease because um, it, it's, you know, we're going down a, a nowhere path. But it, it, just just for, you know, giggles, what would he want? You know, does he want to start a year fresh? Would he love to be able to be in a different uniform? If this is what you're going to do, White Sox, just send me packing. Let me have, let me, let me begin a whole year with somebody. You know, or would he maybe say, you know what? If I pitch my butt off, I'm probably going to be in that handful of contenders, you know, by the deadline. And then I can really showcase. I don't know. It's just something that I've been thinking about because, you know, pitching is such a mental game. We've seen it with guys like Kopech, Giolito. How, how could this affect Cease if he stays in a White Sox uniform? You know, I one thing that I have kind of, I don't, I won't say that I'm struggling with it because, um, you know, it's not something that affects me personally. Um, but, you know, I wonder if there was a, uh, and I, you know, I hope not, but what, was there a little bit of mailing it in there from him? Because I kind of felt like there was like a, a lack of, you know, not that you ever see from him, you know, the old John Garland argument, but, you know, you don't ever really see that like uh, burning intensity out of him very often. And, uh, but it looked to me like last year, you know, down the stretch that there was a little bit of a, uh, you know, I, not a, uh, there was just no, no, uh, no WCW? emotion there. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, T-W-T-W. Hey, that, there's a lot of players, Ian. I mean, wouldn't you say that for a lot of players? But I, I totally, <laughs> I would agree with what you're saying. I mean, I think there were there were a handful of guys, uh, core guys, that you could just tell were just deflated. Yeah, yeah I mean, Dylan Cease was one of those guys. He's he's very emotionless on the mound most of the time. When he's having a great game, he looks the same as he does when he's completely falling apart. But I kind of get what you're saying, Ian, where you can almost get that sense of disconnect maybe from him where he's kind of just going through the most. Yeah, just going through the motions that, uh, you know, that culture. And that, I can't uh, say that I blame about. him either. I mean, if you, yeah. you know, you're stuck on that uh, on that team with the way that that team was performing all year and then you ship off a bunch of a bunch of guys, you know, including, you know, Lucas Giolito, who's ceases, you know, BFF on the team, you know, it's kind of got to wear on you a little bit. And I, I get that. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, I know the, the, you know, that it's, it's kind of a silly thing, you know, cats uh, will fix him, Coop will fix him, uh, you know, Bannister will fix him. But I'm hoping that uh, Bannister does uh, work with him a little bit and uh, possibly rework some of the shapes on his on his pitches. Uh, not that you know, if you look at it, you know all of his baseball savant numbers, you know the fastball was down a hair. Um, but I wonder how much of that I'd have to go and look from the trade deadline on to see if the fastball decreased specifically after the uh the trade deadline or if it was like that all year and it was like pretty much like just a a flat line all across the season i don't i don't know i haven't looked uh i think i did look at one point but i don't remember so um but yeah i mean there's just uh you know i hope that they can get not necessarily you know outward outwardly uh emotion you know but get some of that fire back in there that you know he wants to pitch again because to me it looked like he didn't want to. You think, um, you know, everybody's talking about the defense. You know, the defense should be better with the Chicago White Sox team, and you know, it was a, it's a low bar. So I hope, I, I hope it's better. It seems like that's the focus. And a poor defense, it taxes a pitching staff, and when you feel like you have to be perfect. And Dylan Cease throws a lot of pitches, right? He, he sometimes tries to be a little too fine. And it, you, do you maybe put it on your shoulders when you have a shoddy defense? You know what? I've got to get these guys out on my own. I can't trust the defense behind me. And we'll know maybe a little bit more in, in uh, Glendale, Arizona, how things are going to shape up defensively. I feel like that might, that might help. I hope it helps the entire pitching staff, especially the young guys. Uh, but maybe a Dylan Cease of you got you got you got some defenders behind you. You've got a solid defense uh, this year. Yeah, and unless your name is Greg Maddox, not every pitch can be a pitcher's pitch. Unfortunately, you're gonna give up uh, a lot of you know calls that could go either way that might not go in your direction, especially if you're on a bad White Sox team where you're just not gonna get the benefit of the call. Uh, and, and, you know, the other part of that is like you mentioned, he throws a lot of pitches. You're not getting deep into games. You know, when you're, you're throwing a hundred, 105, 110 pitches and you're only making it through the fifth inning, uh, you know, something needs to change. So 
you know, I, I understand what you're saying by trying to shoulder the entire team. You know, you're trying to lift your entire team because you're not feeling really good about what's going on behind you. Uh, you're probably not feeling really good about what's been going on with the offense the last couple of seasons. So you've kind of got to shoulder everything. I mean, you're taking, you know, you're basically taking on both sides of the ball here and put it all on and you put all that weight on your own shoulders. And, you know, that's just not good. And for anyone, let alone, you know, a guy who's supposed to be considered now the ace of uh, this ball club anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I got to imagine that it's going to, you know, you get the erratic play of T.A. at shortstop um, where, you know, you don't know whether you're going to get the week that he decides to have, you know, like six errors in one week or whether you're going to get, you know, a, a, a great TA, you know, that week. And the thing is, is that he's so he was so prone to going on runs where he would have a couple errors in a row. Yeah, you fire that thing up. I'm in, I'm in the process yeah. of working. That's the trigger right there. We're talking TA uh, defensive TA miscues errors, and throwing yeah. errors, and that, uh, that prompted a heater. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, indeed. So um, – he still doesn't have a job. White Sox. Can I sue the White Sox for cancer? When you know, if it happens, can I sue the White Sox for an iron lung? Mm. Or is this the, along the, the same whole lines? Is like argument, spoons? Isn't it? Yeah. Does does spoons don't make people fat? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so TA still doesn't have a job. So, <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, I had heard it uh, posed in a in a couple of places, wondering if the White Sox had talked. You know, if they've got like some sort of uh, open communication with them, and I can't, you know, with the with the the guidelines that Chris gets is setting, to me that seems like pretty much a no go. That that would be a guy that you would bring back in, and that doesn't even, you know, I don't even, I don't know about the clubhouse. I don't know how he was in the clubhouse. You know, you hear rumors, but I don't know who's starting the issues that 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 are in there. So, you know, I don't, I can't. I still find it shocking, Ian. I find it absolutely shocking that this guy is out of a White Sox uniform. From where we were two, three years ago, Field of Dreams game, of course, and and things after that, commercials. Was he on the cover of a video game? Um, You know, talking about wanting to be the face, not just of the White Sox or the American League, but of all of baseball. I I was convinced. I was absolutely. Yeah, I, I was absolutely convinced that he was going to be in a, in a Sox uniform for life, build around this guy, and here we are. He, he hasn't picked up with another team, and he's gone from the Sox, and he hasn't found another team. Well, yeah, I mean, here we are, end of January. Million. Yeah, exactly. That's you know, and that that's also something that I that I kind of wanted to to touch on was free agency here, and you know, we know that you know per usual Scott Boris is clients are the ones who are holding things up. Um, but I want to go past this off season and look at next off season because, you know, this year we knew that there wasn't a whole lot coming out in free agency. You know, there was a, a couple of guys and I mean, before this season, Jordan Montgomery wasn't like a thought in anybody's brain. Really, you know, like if they were thinking, you know, oh, I want to sign a free agent pitcher, he was like way off on on you know way down the the list of guys that you would assign. And yeah, this year he was clutch, but you know, 
we've seen we've seen him, you know, and he's he's been good, but you know, he's not uh, you know, he wasn't what you were thinking would be like a a number one guy that you would be signing. So coming out in 2025, you have Soto, which I am assuming that the Yankees are going to add him, you know, long term. They're going to extend him. Alex Bregman, I would assume that the Astros are going to extend him. But then again, I don't know. And the White Sox, you know, if they cut ties with Moncada, they're going to have a hole at third base. And if you believe in Ramos, maybe you don't think that that's, you know, an option not to mention, you know, not to mention the money. Like I'm not even going to go in that direction, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. just just as a thought of guys that are around, uh, Corbin Burns is available, Zach Wheeler's available, um Altuve is going to be available. Um yeah, so I mean and Pete Alonso is going to be out there as well. I mean there there are a lot, and you have to figure out whether Andrew Vaughn's something or not, and if he's not, do you go out and try and get a uh, big meat Pete, is that the kind of guy that you want to sign for your team? I mean, his teammates love him. And, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know if the Mets are going to let him walk or whatever, but the point is, is that there are going to be a lot of big players available in the 2025 season, and the White Sox are going to have the payroll. So, you know, after this, after this year, this year, you know, I, I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion by all three of us here and by most people, that this year is just going to be a wash. Yeah, I think it's going to be a wash. Um, we've kind of been – this is eerie. I feel like I've I've – didn't we just do this like five years ago, six years ago, where oh, watch out for next offseason. Sox are going to have ago. money, <clears throat> and there are going to be, there are going to be opportunities – Sox Can I smoke holes. two cigarettes at a time? <laughs> you know what? That's I'm telling you, this is where these conversations. Um, I just hope you make it through some of these uh, oh. recordings, Danny. Uh, been down this road. It's kind of it's exciting to think about that. Of okay, we're going to kind of stand pat. Uh, we're going to you know let some of these you know one year deals that we've acquired these these no brainers that gets is kind of picked up. You know, let's see. We we got we have to have players. We got to have players on the roster. We've got to have arms, uh, but we've got other guys in the system that we're really more excited about. We're going to wait for those guys to come up, uh, and, and then we're maybe going to make a splash in the off season. I guess you you mentioned Vaughn, but where where are the other you know big decisions? I'm assuming Cease is going to be gone. You know, at least by mid year at the trade deadline. You know, where, where are the other decisions that we kind of like? These are big years for these guys because the Sox might move off of them. So Aloy, who uh, other execs have also said, is drawing little interest. I mean, shockingly. I mean, he's done so yeah. much. I, I can't believe nobody would want him. But um, I don't know if you saw or not, but he says that he's going to hit 40 home runs this year. Um, if healthy. Well, I mean, he doesn't say that. He says he's hitting. He did. I, I believe. I believe he said it on um, Brzezinski's podcast today. He said, "If healthy, I can hit forty oh, home he? runs or more." Yeah. <laughs> he said, "If healthy, come oh, on, dude." <laughs> yeah, Have a little he's faith put, in yourself. He's putting qualifiers on his own comments. <laughs> it's you can't make this stuff up. I mean. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good one, Ian. Eloy is a great, is a great one. That's a great point of conversation in terms of what do you have with this guy and when do you move off of him? 
See, that's a, a, another question that you have about Yoan as well, because, you know, say he does go out this year and has a great year. Is it going to be, even if he has a great year this year, are you going to risk $25 million to keep him around for next year if you you know you don't feel if you can trust him to to make it through an entire year when you're paying him twenty five million as opposed to when you've been paying him thirteen and seventeen million dollars a year? I mean, I kind of well, think that it's a foregone conclusion that he's gone regardless of the season he has this year. And you just yeah, hope for, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, let's be honest. I mean, just about every season now, regardless of there being a full time DH in the NL now. Uh, there's usually a, a pretty good number of bat only DHs available every off season. And, uh, you know, a fair amount of guys who have a, uh, a history that isn't injury ridden. And that is kind of what you, I guess you would call proven. Uh, <clears throat> and unfortunately, Aloy has not been able to do that on his own. So, you know, he, to be honest with you, I'm kind of hoping just that he gets the best year possible out of himself so that he can go out and get the best contract for himself next season. It, w- but and I'm where pretty is sure that, with- Danny? Where is that? Is that DH primarily, or is that to his love playing right field as well? Uh, in your mind? I, first of all, I don't think that, uh, you know, if we're going with a White Sox team that has been talking all offseason about being uh, more defensive-minded – you may see him in a spot started out there to give somebody a rest or a break or whatever and keep him uh, occupied, uh, you know, brain-wise, so you can keep him involved in the sport and the game and the team. But uh, I don't think that he plays a whole lot of outfield this year. And then, you know, again, going back to that injury history, do we want to take, you know, chances with that, uh, you know, fragile man and and i don't want to call him fragile because a lot of those injuries are dumb mistakes that he just has made and on his own diving but it's, in the your, nets but it's his body right like at the right. end of the day you got to say your body just can't hold up and i and i agree you know i kind of you know i grilled you there but I, I agree with what you're saying which is why someone hopefully this past off season and, and still going on and maybe in camelback and just sits him down and, and has said look you're not going to be out in right field we, we want your bat. It looks like you're going to be in a White Sox uniform. That's your, your bat is what we need, what we want. The type of ball club we're trying to field means your glove is not out there in right field. Now, the issue, is, it seems like he just can't accept that, doesn't want to accept that. But it is a tradition like no other where I will be talking to Sox <laughs> fans in the offseason in the last couple of years now, and it just happened recently. Or someone will say to me, I'll tell you what, if Mankata can start hitting and Aloy starts hitting, watch out. They're gonna, they're gonna, they watch might surprise out. some people. And I'm like, look, I, I played into that last year and the year before. And the year before. I can't. I cannot get my hopes up for a, a productive, healthy uh, Mankata. I, I just can't. Yeah, and, 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 you know. The offense is going to have to come from somewhere, no? Exactly. I mean, it, you it know, is. it's not like we've had any blockbuster signings in this offseason or monster moves coming up from the minors for the Sox that, you know, are going to be, you know, bangers and, and somebody who's going to put what a bunch would, of runs on the board. You know, Ian and Danny, I mean, what would be palatable from Mankata? Like, he's not going to have the type of seasons that I think we all were 
dreaming about, right? Like what, what would you at least want to see from him this year at the plate? I'll take, I'll take league average. Give me a, give me an OPS plus and a WRC plus of a hundred. Uh, yeah, I know you don't I'm like not, that, but I'm not on them. I that. mean, it, what what's what, it, what do we have to compare to? You know, uh, that's a huge. If you can get 130, 140 games of Yoman Kata at a, at a 100 WRC plus, a 100 OPS plus, is it what you envision for him? No, but it's leaps and bounds of more than what we've gotten out of. Well, I mean, if you're looking at league average for a th- you know for a third baseman because those are weighted. Um, I mean, you're going to get some decent production out of him, but, you know, I'm kind of, you know, hoping more along the lines of, like, something like 280 with, like, a 825 OPS or something, you know, with, like, 22 home runs and, you know, 75 RBIs, just because simply because I don't think there's going to be anybody on base. But, uh, you know, at least some... Something that shows some promise, you know, because I think that the skill sets there um, and, you know, I don't know whether motivation was an issue or whether COVID, you know, really just decimated him and, you know, his body just never caught up. But, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, we get something out of him. But like the thing is, is that, I mean, regardless, I don't think he's going to be here next year. So I don't think it really matters. I just hope that, you know, he can do something offensively and, you know, hopefully he can sign somewhere, but I still don't think it's going to be here. I like his glove. Uh, yeah, I've no, liked his good. glove for yeah, a while. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I know people will point out from time to time, there are lapses or it's in the, I, come on. That, that is a tough position to play. Some of the, some of the reactionary, and it's really a reactionary position uh, and, and how he does it. And he, he does it gracefully. Sure, it looks like he might be hot dog in here and there. But honestly, man, he I I love his glove. I mean, he should be he should have been up there in the gold glove conversations. At least uh, nominated, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. at least nominated. Um, you know, it, the health thing is what has just been such a bugaboo for me. And, and Danny, you threw out 140 games, which would be. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, if he plays 140 games. But that's always the thing, right? Does that go hand in hand? You know, if he could stay on the field, because Aloy has talked about this over the years, and, and I'm sure other players have, of it has been tough for me to get into a rhythm when, you know, I have these setbacks and I can't stay on the field and I can't get into a group. So has that been the issue with Makata where, boy, if he played 140 games? You know, we saw it with Robert last year, what he play in, 80, 85% of the games, if not more. Yeah. And you saw what kind of numbers yeah. he had. Now, I, I don't know if Mankata at all has those types of offensive pop numbers if he plays consistently. But some of those numbers, Ian, that you talked about, I think he could potentially achieve if he stayed on the field consistently. Yeah, so he hasn't uh, he hasn't played in 140 games since 2021. And we know how 2021 was. He was still kind of wiped out from the, the old Covis. Um, so Covis and clubbing in Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he played, we'll he played in 52 out of 60 in, uh, in 2020, which, which was a great year for him. Right. I mean, yeah, no, I was two twenty five. Yeah. He was, uh, 
what, 94 OPS plus. So he's below average, but he was sick. But he still played in 52, 52 out, out of 60, 60 which is, you know, that was is, a, I mean, yeah, and, that's not bad. I, I don't know. But, but, but the 60 game sample size, I still, that was perfect for that White Sox team. It really was. Because beyond 60, I don't know if they would have been able to stay on the field. Yeah, it was just like, if Aloy could I can give healthy. you 60. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and you play every game like it's the playoff push. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're in it to win it all. You know, you're giving every little ounce that you have. And, you know, since that time, we have not seen the White Sox players give, you know, half of the ounces that it takes to get to a win. You know, there's that lackadaisical, yeah, I don't know where I'm going there. You know, give me a break here. I'm trying. Uh, You're just saying, are you talking leadership, Danny? Are you talking leadership? Are you talking? I'm talking talking guys busting it down the baseline without getting hurt, without, having a hammy pop on him like a rubber band did you guys you know? like how elvis andrews played do, do i like his how attitude he towards how playing? he played not necessarily maybe the, some of the results but like how he played <laughs> well you know if we could have gotten him like six seven years earlier <laughs> which yeah. would have been sure. you know a, yeah. a better producing actually i mean if we could have gotten him 2017 light it up uh 2017 yeah i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to put hey i've got notes going on here don't talk about elvis andrews yeah i need to get like a little uh number that we can uh add to in the bottom corner (sighs) middle infielders for danny miller do not talk about middle infielders of the last four or five years honestly nick uh, i was gonna say corner corner outfielders outfielders, catchers catchers. uh Uh, spending Uh, money on the bullpen which, Seventy million dollars oh, on a bullpen. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah, let's right. lead into yeah. that. Uh, the White Sox did yep. make a uh, a banner signing uh, in the last week of banner. John Brebbia, uh, another bullpen signing. And uh, but I will say this: his WHIP was good. It's like one point one seven um, with the improved defense. He should put up some good numbers. But you know the results for him last year. Um, with the Giants, I think he still had like a three nine nine ERA, so nothing like really, you know, a, a banner ERA there. But his WHIP was good, so he wasn't letting many guys on base. So, how do you guys feel, Nick? How do you feel about the signing of John Brebbia? Do you care? Uh, do you think it's decent? Uh, where are you at? I, I was fine with it. You know, I, I'm absolutely fine with it. Um, those are the types of moves that I don't want to say are low hanging fruit for Chris Getz, but you know, you need guys, you need arms, you need proven I'd, arms. I'd call you know? it low hanging fruit. Sorry, it is. I that's would. what I, that's what I'm saying. Like, like some of these deals that he's, he's done, you know, one year, this, you know, take a flyer on this guy, you know, see what he see that those are no brainers for him with this 2024 Sox team. Right. You know, just collect some guys. And see what can happen because there are no expectations. I don't think there are internally. There should not be serious expectations internally. Uh, let's play a better brand of baseball for sure. Maybe play a better Grafol brand, whatever that is, that he's got maybe guys that'll buy into his concept if he has figured what that is, you know, and in a better defense and this, that, and the other. But Brebbia is, is fine by me. 
you know, and, and maybe he, you know, catches on because of a better defense or change of atmosphere. But that, that's how the relievers go, right? It's a short shelf life. And sometimes these guys just emerge out of nowhere. And, you know, to your previous point, we were talking about things that, um, you know, irritate, <laughs> irritate you, Danny. The <laughs> amount of money that was spent on a bullpen years ago, it was, it's not necessary. It's not necessary because exactly. you, you, sure, you need some anchors, but you can find these arms. You know, they're, they're around. Many of them you can find right in the house. The, the White Sox have been pumping out bullpen arms that are, you know, at least serviceable for many, many, many years. It's, it's one of the few things that the development system, the farm system, seems to get right on a, a more than regular basis, right? You know, it's not a hit or miss kind of thing. That's the one place the White Sox seem to have something working for them. You know, so I'm not big on spending a ton of money on the bullpen. Having said that, what is it? Five or five and a half million. Yeah. For it's, it's not much. Next That's year. why I don't mind it. Yeah. Uh, you know, on a, on a show me type of contract, like you say, being volatile as bullpen arms can be, you know, you don't want to sign somebody long-term, uh, you know, and like like Ian said, there, there were some things that you know weren't exactly great about his numbers last year. But if the whip plays out, if you got a good defense behind him, you know I can't say it any better than you did, Nick. Uh, I'm okay with that signing. You know, it's nothing to write home about. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, finally, getting a little something done where we're not picking up a one million dollar depth piece somewhere. Yeah, I. You know, speaking of, uh, you know, low hanging fruit. Um, you know, one thing that one guy that people had talked about, uh, around, you know, just out there in the ether, uh, one, you know, we've needed a right fielder for, uh, ever in a day. And, uh, Joey DeGaio, uh, was available and, uh, he just signed for one year, 5 million with the Nats today. Uh, one of those, you know. Not much of a, you know, not much of a huge amount of dollars to, uh, you know, commit to. Um, but, you know, I don't really think that they wanted the uh, swing and miss. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's a he's a decent fielder, so it would have improved the defense in right field over, say, a Gavin Sheets or Aloy Jimenez. Um, yes, I said it. Um mm. You know, there it, it's a, a an upgrade there, um, but uh, you know another guy that that was out there as well signed a, a minor league deal today with the Angels and uh, Miguel Sano. Uh, if you needed like a uh, if you you know you were worried about a DH, but I mean they can't get rid of Aloy, and I certainly would hope that they're not putting him in the outfield either. So you know you pretty much have to play him at DH. So uh, you know that's some power bats that are off the market. Um, but I mean, I don't know what they're doing at this point about uh, about right field. I'm certainly hoping it's not uh, Gavin. But uh, you you think you you would hope you just would hope as a Sox fan. Come on already, enough of this. You have a plan. How do you not have a plan about right field for so many years? Or been wrong about plans? and think that this was going to be the thing that was going to go right for maybe two to three years. And it just did not uh, at all from, from the get-go. 
and you know the, the Oscar Colas thing. I, I I don't even know what's what's going on there, uh, and what kind of shot they're going to give him, and when they're going to give him a shot, and how that's going to play out in 2024. But the fact that they haven't been able to secure it so far it just leads me to believe that it's going to be internal. You yes. know, and they're gonna we're gonna be some article is gonna be pushed down our throats about how whether it's Gavin Sheets or you know the the amount of work, the immense amount of work that this individual has put in, and to to change the way they play the game and the video that they've gone over and the studying and the it's just gonna happen. You've seen Larry it before. Sheets continues not? to invest in his son's future. <laughs> um. You know, I, I'm with you on that, and I'm glad you brought up Colas because that actually brings me to a question that I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'm completely off my rocker here, but do you guys think that the lack of talk of even bring? I mean, they don't they don't really want to bring up Oscar Colas's name these days. Uh, you don't really hear a lot of, of anything about him. And, uh, you know, being that he's still – on the younger side and you know he's he's a little bit older than your average prospect coming up for you know his rookie season last year but do we think you guys in particular think it was he one of those guys that was maybe a bit of a clubhouse issue was he one of these guys that uh didn't quite follow in Pedro Grafal's uh teachings and 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 working ways i you know cuz i i'm really kind of flummoxed about why we're talking about Gavin Sheets and Aloy Jimenez out there when, you know, I got to be honest with you, uh, Colas looks like more of an athlete than, than Gavin Sheets. Nothing against Gavin. Gavin, you know, has done some things for the Sox that, especially when he found his power that nobody really had seen before. Uh, you know, he's done some. Colas was, but, was an actual right fielder, right. Not, not a first baseman that was transitioning to a corner outfield spot. You know, you guys looked at, Colas probably far more than I did when he was, you know, a pro coming through the minor league system and before he wore a White Sox uniform on the South Side. I just read so many articles last off season, and, and that was a that was a large chunk of what like a daily uh, locked on White Sox podcast was. Was uh, Colas is working on you know patience at the plate and tracking hey, pitches and you know. Uh, the discipline and no, he knows what he needs to achieve. He wants more information and he's going to put the work in and uh, you know, his arm strength and, you know, and, and I was down there in Arizona last spring as I will be, you know, this year and he didn't hurt himself in the spring. That's for sure. You know, he was, you know, putting the ball in play, you know, serviceable out in right field. But uh, you know, I, Look, I don't know about you guys, but it just felt like he should have never really broke with camp, though. And because they never addressed right field, they almost had to throw him out there as, as the choice. So when I talked to Andy Barquette um, upon his, uh, his dismissal, um, one thing that he had said specifically, because I asked him specifically about Colas, because it's one of those things that everybody wants to know about, um, he thought, you know, him and the rest of the guy, you know, the, the hitting guys in the minors thought that he needed a little bit more marination, you know, that he needed to spend some more time down there. And it was evidenced by his plate approach, you know. And the thing was, is, though, is that if you watch him in the minor leagues, I still stand by the fact that that kid can play center field 
I mean, we don't need him to because of Robert, but I, you know, I was there for game two of 2022, and I saw that kid turn and run straight back and catch a ball over his head that he had no business catching. Beautiful route, you know, fast, you know, great recognition of where the ball was going. Um, he has the skill set to do all this stuff. Um, I think with him, it is a maturity thing that he needs to, you know, just be more of an adult, you know, and take more responsibility for what it is that he's doing and make better decisions and not try and play hero ball all the time. That's what, you know, that got him in trouble in, in the minors along with a couple other, uh, you know, dumb things that he did that, you know, were like something, you know, that you would expect from a teenager. Um, you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, besides the fact that he's 25 now, you know, he was, you know, one of those kids that was always told that he was the best and he was a superstar. And, you know, he got signed by the White Sox, at which I'm sure they probably said the same thing, you know, and then they bring him up and then they give him center, you know, they give him right field right out of the gate, despite the fact that he sat for the first game, um, but regardless, you know, um, you know, for platoon uh, reasons. Um, but, you know, like if you watch his, uh, you know, you, you watch his plate approach. And the thing was, is that when he would get sat for a while, uh, he would figure out what he needed to do to to have good quality at bats. But given like a couple of days, he'd go back to what he was doing. And that's why that was an issue. So he, so you're saying maybe drinking from the fire hose last season took maybe the offense out to right field with them. Couldn't hit a cutoff man to save his life. Um, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, this whole, these reports in the off season, maybe a month or so ago, if he's working out with Luis Robert jr, you know, what was the whole demotion and everything that happened to him last year, uh, a wake-up call. You know, Robert kind of had a mini wake-up call in the season, right? Like there was there was an issue. I don't know, was it a, was a benching or he got pulled from a game? And then all of a sudden he just took off. You know, and Robert's a different, he seems to be superhuman, you know. But with a young guy like Colas, all the stuff you're saying, you know, I, I agree with. Just everybody's told you you've been unbelievable, unbelievable. Haven't really faced a lot of adversity. Get to the adversity and it doesn't go well. You know, and I don't know, maybe, maybe that what had, he had to go through that last season. If, if you get what I'm saying, he oh, had yeah. to go through 100%. that yeah. to maybe have this awakening or hopefully we're hoping hopefully. Yeah. changes ways. Yeah. I mean, if, if Charlotte was any indication uh, that didn't seem to wake him up too much um, when he went back down there, cause the, the bat was kind of asleep, but the, you know, but then again, you know, I also don't want him to go back to Charlotte and revert to what he was doing before and showing out because when he was showing out in AAA, it was because he was, you know, pulling everything and trying to hit everything to the moon. And, you know, when you have a skill floor that is so much above everybody else's, you can go out and, you know, especially in Charlotte with the park factor in that place, you know, you can go out and, you know, just decimate baseball after baseball, but the second that you get up to the show and that that floor kind of levels out, you know, they're going to pick you apart. 
So yeah, you become exposed really quickly. Yeah, he's gonna have yeah. to figure that out. Uh, you know, my the only reason for me bringing that up is, and and I guess, I guess, well, you know, we'll probably have to revisit this entire conversation after they signed Whit Merrifield, and and you know, we're in spring training, and it's so and so's job happening. to lose. I, I just, I feel it. I feel it. It's gonna. Happen. Oh come on! It, I, you know. I, before I saw Beatlow's tweets about, you know, uh, who's going to be the right fielder. And I've seen everybody that's, you know, put a poll up on, on X slash Twitter. Uh, you know, I, Ian and I had conversations before the holidays and, and I said, wouldn't this guy be the perfect fit? He's 35 years old. He's an ex Royal player and he's a, uh, He's he's one of these guys that plays multiple position, multiple positions, and neither one of them, you know, all that well. Uh, I just it just sounds it seems like the uh, White Soxiest of White Sox moves. I mean, you know, I, I'm penciling it in already as we speak. But so uh, James Fox, uh, our compatriot, um, he says that they have an offer out to him. Um, that's been around, you know, that's been out for, for a little while, I guess. Um, that's just kind of like a freestanding offer. I'm sure it's a, a like, Hey, so if you guys, you know, if, if, you know, you don't get an offer from the Yankees or anything, and, uh, I don't know, you feel like playing baseball, uh, there's some money on the table. If you want to come over here to the White Sox, I'm sure it's probably something like that. Um, mm. but man, uh, he's not good at, which I, you know, it makes sense. I mean, I, it just felt like such a Grafol gets type of thing. Um, you know, he's played well against the White Sox. He's just, he can play two positions. Maybe he doesn't play him very well, but he, those are his <laughs> real positions. You know, it's not like we're trying to take a third baseman and try to make them an outfielder necessarily. Okay. There's that. You know, there is uh, that. I see where you're going with that. that that's just, you know, in, Look, I, I hey, I don't, I don't love it. It's not like this is going oh, yeah. to all of a sudden change the odds for the Sacks winning, you know, the division or anything. But it it answers something, and it, it. I go back to this whole: what kind of baseball does Pedro Grafol, the organization, the coaching staff, Chris Getz, Hopefully, it's a top-down thing. Everybody's in a, aligned eventually. What type of baseball does he want to play? Was he not able to play that last year with the type of guys that he was uh, gifted? E- even though they were talented ball players, maybe they didn't buy into his system. He's got experience with M- what Merrifield. Maybe he says to the organization, Pedro Grafol, I'm, I'm speaking of, this guy will buy into what I'm trying to do. If we can get this guy, I think things will line and we should have more success i'm just trying to create some sort of theory on this i mean it's just, well, i mean you telling me that pedro said all right so we're gonna go out there and play defense today and we're gonna get some hits and we're gonna score some runs i mean the kind of the kind of baseball he wants to play is winning baseball and that was a problem and he didn't do anything to aid that in the locker room either you know, so. I don't know if he I, I'm wondering if guys looked at him like, who are you? You've never managed before. You, you've got an impressive baseball resume. You've done a lot of things, but really with one organization. Why am I listening to you? You know, what, what, what have you done? You know, and, well, as a manager, he's got to say the same thing back to these guys. But what I don't think he done? was. I don't think he was. 
which is why guys like Colas or, or Lee were, were getting his tongue. You know, we're, we're getting the wrath of Pedro Grifol. Why are you going after only these guys when there's veterans that have not been living up to the back of their baseball card or whatever the kind of stuff that Han would throw out at us? So maybe he's saying, I've got to get guys in that I can corral, which is insane, I know, but that could potentially be an angle to it. There's your uh, there's your new uh, your your next meme meme emoji, uh, Ian is the wrath of Grifol. Yeah, you know, like uh, like gets in his uh, alter ego that we put, put him up in a here red leather vest and give him some nice flowing <clears throat> white hair and some Corinthian leather. You know, It'd be good. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, and this is also something that I've heard talked about in uh, in a couple of places is that you know this season coming up here. He's getting all these guys that are the anti-clubhouse cancer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, is that now he's going to be able to take the reins in the locker room because he knows that now that, oh, that's what I should do. Yes, as the manager, you're supposed to be the manager. Shocking. I know. Um, But, you know, now he's going to have guys that are going to be a little bit more palatable. Uh, to deal with in the locker room, possibly, I guess. I mean, I don't really know. But, you know, the thing, as soon as they said that Griffol was guaranteed his job coming oh. back into the mm. season, um, all I got to say is that this has to be, you know, the year. If he doesn't show any promise this year with this group of guys that are all, like, great clubhouse guys, um, with Brebia being another one, that guy, super awesome guy, very funny. Um, but the thing is, is if you got an entire yeah, locker room of these interview. guys, yeah, if you got an entire locker room of these guys and you still can't manage to, you know, corral everybody and bring a rookie into this situation to work with this kind of stuff, like what are we even doing here? I mean, I, I will say one thing that they did that was positive that I think will possibly pay. Uh, dividends in Charlotte is they re-signed uh, um, Peyton, Mark Peyton, for the Knights. And, you know, he put up some really, really nice numbers in 2022, and then he went and played in Japan last year. Um, but having him, he is a consummate professional, and he does the little things, and uh, he's got a absolutely gorgeous left-handed swing. Putting Oscar Colas around him is should be good for his development because he can see what you need to do to have a proper plan in place to become a major leaguer. Now, I know that Mark Payton didn't get there, but you're also talking about a guy who's like 5'7", you know, or 5'8", and you know, it doesn't have the the kind of talent that an Oscar Colas does. But if you see his routine and everything, everybody loves that guy. And like all the coaches love that guy because he is super, super solid and has a routine and is professional and goes about his business. That is so something that Colas did not have last year. So anyway, let yes. me ask you this now. Do you think Mark Payton came back? after playing in Japan and came back to play with Charlotte because he possibly sees an opportunity. 
his I mean, right field is still a hole in the White Sox organization. I mean, wouldn't you? Your his competition, competition is Brett Phillips, Gavin Sheets, and Brett, Gavin Brett Phillips. Yeah, I mean, and Olo Jimenez. I mean, five seven or not, and he fits the he fits the 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 bill of uh, a speedier White Sox team as well. Guy's got some wheels, you know. He, I mean, you know, his legs might not be the longest in the world, but they get rolling, they get moving. So, so I'm I, just going to throw this out here. Uh, this is something that we had talked about. And I, I mean, I think that we kind of all have like the, the same feeling and we've kind of been expressing it throughout this entire, you know, conversation here. Um, but where's your head at going into 2024? Are you uh, just, you know, resigned to the fact that this team's just going to be complete garbage and we're not going to see a whole lot going on here or my head's right here. Where's it at? Right here. So, I mean, what do you think, Nick? What, I mean, are you looking I forward to this I don't think they're going to be – I mean, I, I don't think they're going to be hot garbage. It, it depends on internally what the expectations are. What are their expectations? What's Reinsdorf? What's uh, the front office? What's the executives, the gets? Like, what are their – quiet expectations that they're really not going to obviously broadcast and, you know, all the stuff that was talked about at the end of the season, like Grafol starting to go off about, you know, I, I think we're going to be right back in here. We're, you know, we're going to get, uh, you know, make some changes. And, you know, I, with this division, I could see us being right up at the top in 2024. That quieted, someone got in his ear and said, mm, let's not, let's not say that kind of stuff right now. So, so what, what are they thinking? I, you got to be better than last year. Absolutely. Uh, not just, you just got to be better as a team, you know, play a completely different brand of baseball. I don't, I don't see what kind of pitching you have. I, I, I so low on their starting pitching and the rotation and, you know, the bullpen could materialize out of, um, Glendale, but sitting here with almost two months until opening day, not the first Cactus League game or it's opening day, March 28th. We're almost two months away. I don't have a lot of high hopes, man, uh, I, at all. That no playoffs? Ma- no playoffs. playoffs. Even, even though I playoffs. caught, I caught uh, from DraftKings uh, plus 3,500 odds for the Sox to win the division. And Pat and I, I mean, I'll throw you know, 10 put, bucks on that. Yeah, we did. We, we put a little bit of money on that. So we've got some skin in the game. But, you know, that it's, and you could, you could always talk yourself into it. And, and that's the game we play as crazy Sox fans is, well, if they stay healthy and these guys finally materialize and Vaughn has a crazy year. And sure, but I, I still go back to pitching. Um, you know, and that and that's with C's on the team. You know, I don't think he's going to finish the year with the Sox. So to me, this is like, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be seeing some guys that might have a future if they give guys opportunities for them to develop. But I don't think I'm going to be too aggravated that they're losing or things, you know, they're falling back in the division. Cause I, 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 I think that's the type of year. Danny. Yeah. You know what? <sighs> I've been saying this for a while. I'm going to continue to say it. I'm in that state of show me, you know, the Sox showed me a little something when they decided to move on from, from Kenny Williams. So you're saying uh, you're in Missouri. Uh, yep. You can still Kansas call me in Missouri. I've been saying call you Kansas city, Danny. 
I mean, you know, might as well. It is in Missouri. And uh, you know what? Maybe Pedro has brought a little something with him from the uh, fine state of Missouri. Uh, but, you know, I, I just I need to see more. And I, I'm you know, let me put it to you like this. So the, the the vitriol that I had for the White Sox organization or since the end of last season or even actually through most of last season uh, is starting to wane some. Maybe it's the winter months, the snow on the ground, the below zero temperatures that we were experiencing in, up until a couple of days ago. Uh, I'm ready for some baseball. I'm not going to say that I'm not going to go out to some games this year. You know, I will be, uh, you know, I'll be there on opening day like I am every year. We're going to have to have a future Sox tailgate party. I mean, Absolutely. That's a, I think that's 100%. Yeah. 100%. While we still can. Um, you know, I might as well throw it out there. I was actually thinking about maybe doing a little uh, future size meet and greet. Uh, at a, on a, on a, you know, at, nothing wrong with that. Hate to hate to say it, but you know, let's let's go with a local bar with a little bit of space that's close to the to the venue. Maybe we do a Reggie's meet and greet. Uh, but uh, you know, whatever, we'll we'll kick that idea around. But yeah, um, my head's basically. Uh, I'm, I just want to get back to baseball, and if the Sox show me something great, if they don't, I don't have high expectations. Yeah. Well, I'm going to throw this out there. I don't have expectations either. Uh, and one thing that I think, you know, I am not down on the pitching per se. Um, I don't think it's going to be great. Um, but I think that they have uh, strength in numbers. Um, I think the the amount of depth that they've put together, and I think that there's actually, you know, if you think about it, I mean, Schultons and Toussaint weren't terrible last year. I mean, they weren't great. Don't get me wrong. You know, not fantastic, um, but they've added a, a bunch of a bunch of names to that list, and uh, you know, it's possible. You know that uh, that Bannister might rework. You know, a couple of things here and there. Uh, you know, maybe you see a, a rebound from a Chris Flexen. You know, maybe you see a rebound. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys listen to the. Uh, uh, Ethan Katz interview, uh, I believe it was with uh, Archuk. Um, there was an interview with uh, Ethan Katz, and uh, he talked about a couple of things that um, that was with those two guys in particular that are things that maybe that it could help them rebound. Uh, you know, like a couple of things that they, you know, Jared Schuster didn't even think about what Katz had mentioned to him that had made him have a a rougher year last year, you know, I, there's just, there are possibilities here where it could be good. And if the White Sox lose, you know, 105 games, if there is like, uh, some success stories out of, you know, coming out of that garbage, you know, coming out of that flaming dumpster, if there are some things that look like they are going to provide something in the future, or if you see one particular thing from, you know, say a Brian Bannister, uh, say from even if Pedro Grafal figures something out and you see something there that you see as promising, then, I, you know, I'm fine. You know, I'm pretty much at the point where I think that they're going to lose 100-plus games this year. So it, if that's going to happen, I at least want to see something. I want to see uh, quite a few positive steps from something, whether it be guys coming up from the farm, whether it be guys that they signed as free agents uh, in the pitching 
think. I don't think, you know, if Cease is here, okay, maybe. But, you know, if we start seeing all these guys, like if I want to see, you know, Kopech take a step back in the direction oh, of, of where he was, yeah. you know. I mean, just just things like that. But I'm just going to leave that there because, I mean, like I could see no, you could on see, and on about that, you know. You could see um, you could see many victories, you know, the game within the game. Uh, the, the organization, the team – might be pretty awful, but there are <laughs> there are steps forward happening if you compartmentalize, and and that's what I think you really have to be following this team closely, you know, which we're going to be doing and we're going to be talking about it on a weekly basis. You've got to be watching the team, reading about the team because there could be, you know, little steps <clears throat> forward from different guys that have a future on this White Sox team that they're going to try to, you know, build around or build with. Uh, moving forward, but yeah, it very well could get worse before it gets better. Hundred percent. Uh, but there's always those little things, um, whether it's a it's a certain at bat or you know. I, and I hope guys figure some things out starting pitching. But you know, hitters are smart too. You know, and there's video all over the place, and it's like, well, when a pit when a hitter can adapt to the new things that you've put in, how does that pitcher then? still be able to defeat that hitter? You know, how do they then uh, uh, adapt? And that, that could be something that we follow as well. I mean, that's something you saw from Chris Flexen. You know, he added, uh, added a sweeper like everybody else, and he got his brains beaten and didn't adjust, you know? And, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, he's trying to go east-west, and that's one of the things that Katz was talking about is that, you know, he sees, you know, him and Bannister both see Flexen as more of a north-south guy, which is, you know, fastball, and the curveball and changeup, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that they want to see from him. And, you know, like I'm just hoping that we get some positives to build on here, something that's going towards the future. You know, I don't, you know, if Yohan has a bad year, so what? He's gone next year anyway. If Aloy has a bad year, cut him, you know? Yeah, there's there's yeah. so many of those those things where I can just go, okay, cool cut ties, you know, save yourself mm-hmm. some money going into next year so you can spend it on somebody that's worth it. This um, is the year for that. Yep. hundred yep. percent. Uh, really quickly before we move on to, cause I know we want to get on to, you know, one or two other things here, but I just have one question for you guys. You know, we're talking all this stuff about the, the white Sox and looking for the small victories. And because we're all kind of expecting them not to be great, they might lose another hundred games, right? Is there some kind of crazy world? Where the, you know, Nick brought up earlier how folks were saying, you know, they might actually turn some things around. Is there some kind of crazy world where they could be competitive in the central as fortunate as they are? Do you guys see a path to that anywhere? Yes, I do. I I, I mean, you seen the movie Major League, you know, I mean, not that it's real, but I mean, I could see a, a, a place where, you know, if they got the right kind, you know, just the right combination of something, you know, just what, whatever it is that they've, that they've assembled over there at 35th and Shields. Uh, if they can find uh, something that can translate to uh, scoring enough runs and limiting runs through defense and pitching, if they can combine those two things, there is a way where there could be a perfect storm and they could be competitive. I 100% don't expect that, but it's possible. Always possible. It's always possible. And, you know, the the main argument about 
fortunate being in the AL Central. Well, you know, it, it stings that that's the conversation because you shouldn't just be saying, oh, well, I'm so glad that and no one else is taking a leap forward. We're all kind of on this like nonverbal agreement that nobody's going to take the division. We're all just going to, you know, kind of hang around here. Um, so that's unfortunate. It's like, well, why don't you go take the division, Sox? You've had the opportunity several years. But the fact that no one is really stepping forward as of right now. And, you know, I, yeah. And anything crazy, they do have, to, to Ian's point, if they do have the right combination and they feel it and, and that's how it materializes on the field and, and the pitching depth does stay healthy and, you know, I all of a sudden Kopech something a locked on him. He did have the healthiest off season and he's coming in with a clear mind and, you know, mechanically he figured some things out. I, anything's possible. I mean, sure. They be could nice? be, I mean, they, they could be competitive maybe in the, in the division and hang around. I don't think they can like sustain it. Like maybe for a couple months, but I, I feel like eventually things That's will catch up. Like, it, they, I take a couple win, of months of good baseball, but a couple months they could certainly go on a sure, you know, go on a yeah. little bit of a heater. Um, you know, I'm not saying uh, you know that they'll go on heater? like a yeah, like a 15 game winning streak or anything. But there's an entire there's a possibility that they could play you know like 520 ball for a couple of months and hang in there for a little while and then completely fall apart down the stretch. I could totally see that. Um, I just want something watchable. Yeah, and that. speaking of something watchable, um, we have three final candidates for the uh, White Sox play-by-play uh, job. We have uh, ES. Uh, we have our guy that's been around for a while, does the post-game show, uh, Connor McKnight. Uh, we also have uh, ESPN's John Schriffen and the Red Sox radio guy, uh, Will Fleming. Um, I've heard, you know, obviously I've heard Connor around. Um, I've heard barely any of Schriffen and I've heard a couple of games of Will Fleming Red Sox fans talk glowingly about him um they don't want him gone um whether that means that we want him for sure or not but I mean you know we need somebody to do play-by-play they still haven't figured this out yet um where are you looking to Nick are you thinking local or is they going outside which one you think I would like them to stay local. And I know there's a lot of people that, you know, aren't, aren't high on Connor McKnight. And I, I don't know if he's necessarily found his footing, so to speak, uh, when he's had opportunities to be in the booth, it's gotta be a tough situation of, you know, pot uh, spot start here and there. Um, I I think he's a company guy. I, I think, you know, he's been around the Chicago market for a long time was with the score has been with ESPN for a while. He's gotten to know this ball club. Like, he's a name that you associate with the Chicago White Sox uh, these days. He's seen what has happened since 2016, 2017. And now, you know, what we're going to have to probably do all over. Uh, I, I feel like if he gets that opportunity, and I, and I like to see somebody that's been paying their dues, has, you know, stuck with it, and they get they get an opportunity, like, You've been around the team, like just give them that shot. Maybe when it's like, hey, this is my gig now, like you'll see him relax a little bit. You'll see him open up a little bit, develop more of a personality, make it his own. And I don't know what Connor McKnight's 
you know, story is beyond, you know, doing the white, uh, doing, you know, pre and post White Sox weekly. Score and search. if he were to get play by play, uh, I mean, if does he, does he have other aspirations, you know, outside? Does he want to do national stuff? This is old school of me, but this is where I, if you're going to do White Sox game, I want you to do White Sox games. I want you to do their, be there, well, more than just half. I want you to be there 80 to 90% of the time doing Sox games. Mike Monaco is not involved anymore, but I thought he was going to be a Benetti 2.0. He was going to be pulled away in all these different aspirations that he wanted to do, and good on him. He's a talented broadcaster, and he's, he's, he's going to be able to make money in a lot of different spots. You want that as a young uh, aspiring broadcaster, right? You want to have, you know, the biggest stage, most likely. I don't know about Fleming, and I don't know about Schifrin, where they're tied and what other obligations that they have, but, you know, Connor's been connected to the White Sox. I like that, and I have a feeling, I just have a gut feeling, if he gets the gig, he will be, uh, you know, the play-by-play guy for majority uh, of the season, well, the majority of the season. Yeah, um, you know, so there's been a lot of uh, talk, you know, on the socials since uh, the report came out a couple of days ago that it had come down to three candidates. And, uh, you know, I happened to, to toss something out there that I believe that Connor is, is a great guy. And and I'll be honest with you, I really enjoy him in the pre and post game. Uh, he's He throws out a lot of great analysis. He picks out a lot of moments in games. Uh, and breaks them down where maybe, you know, I hadn't even thought about it as a big moment. And he's like, well, you know, this was a pretty big moment here. Maybe you missed this and and what was going on. And I enjoy that. And, uh, you know, but I was thinking that maybe, maybe I'm being a little hard on the guy because, you know, like you said, it's, it's kind of difficult to uh, kind of do the spot start and have the same uh, chops as somebody who's been doing it over and over on a daily basis over the course of 162 games. multiple season. sports. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I've kind of had some time to marinate on that thought. And I say, why not? You know, I, I cause I do enjoy him in his, in his radio uh, personality. I, I do enjoy what he does. And I think, you know, I, if I look back at what we do here, Ian and I have been partners for, you know, over three years now. I know you and Pat have been doing your thing over Good Guys Talk Back for, for quite a while. And I would like to say that all of us have kind of grown from our beginnings, right? You know, uh, experience with experience, you know, comes a, a level of comfort. And I think I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I'm kind of wanting to walk back my, my thoughts on that saying that he might not be the perfect guy for the job. And I, you know what? Go ahead and give the guy a shot. Cause like you say, he's local. He does know the team. And uh, you know, I'm kind of all here for it at this point. And why not? It's not like the white Sox. You know, we've been saying this over and over again. We're probably going to continue to say it well into the season. That Expectations are low for this white Sox baseball club. Why not give a guy an opportunity in a season like this to, to grow and hopefully when the White Sox do become competitive, you've already got the, you know, the experience under your belt and that level of comfort to where people are starting to pay attention to the team a little bit more. Well, our announcers are, uh, you know, kind of growing into their positions as well, too. I don't really, uh, I don't have an opinion, to be honest. Um, I'm fine with whatever. Um, I'm not super, super picky. Um, so I'm boring. Um 
doesn't really bother well, Pat me. Pat brought something up uh, in the in the most recent Good Guys episode and that it sure seems uh, guys like they're giving this far more thought than they gave to the general manager. Uh, sure does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds brutal. funny, but it, it there is some to that statement. It sure feels that way. Wowzers! Um, it's definitely taken a lot longer. <laughs> Uh, just going to throw say. this out here. Uh, Reese Hoskins just signed with the Brewers for two years. Um, they're finalizing that contract. Two years, $36 million, I believe, or something along those lines. Actually um, seems like a pretty good fit for him and the Brewers. Yeah. Yep. Yes, indeed. And that means that the uh, the Cubs do not sign him. Uh, I know that was one guy that uh, a lot of Cubs fans were looking at. So, um, All right, so we've had uh, – Roughly about, uh, what, four, probably five days to uh, marinate on the stadium. Um, You guys have uh, any any uh, post marination thoughts on uh, on the stadium, the uh, proposed stadium over there in the 78? Uh, I'll Uh, let you go ahead and kick that off, Nick. Yeah, a little bit, Um, you know. Something that's always, not always, but lately, at least maybe at least three, four years that have been bothered me is I've just gone to see other ballparks, um, you know, over 20 plus ballparks is this relationship that they, that these ballparks have, these teams have with their history and the Cincinnati Reds do it and the Kansas City Royals do it with these team hall of fames. And you're seeing a lot of teams that also do kind of like a ring of honor, something that the Bulls kind of just... Uh, unveiled and you know it's like we've got our personal hall of fame you know we not only just retired numbers but we also have guys that maybe they weren't you know worthy of the retired number but they they did something for the franchise the organization that we're going to put them in our you know our team hall of fame and there are you you'd think there are opportunities on the grounds of 35th and shields where they could figure something like that out maybe even in the ballpark but at this point it's like I don't think so. So if moving to, you know, the South Loop and, and boy, and I hope Jerry pays for it, majority of it, this shouldn't be on taxpayers, but that, you know, if this move to the South Loop brings opportunities for those types of things on the grounds, other ways to, to have that type of relationship and celebrate the rich history of the Chicago White Sox, it, it gets me a little bit more excited. You know, I, I'm still what's going on with this team? What's the direction of this team? I wish the serious talks were about the organization. My main thing, you know, the one thing that I keep seeing it, because I mean, there are more and more articles still rolling out to this day. This is, this is a story that's not going away. Uh, it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And one of the big things I'm seeing in these articles and uh, on the socials is, you know, a lot of people are saying, where's the money going to come from? Is Jerry going to pay for this? You know, it's going to be a mixed use uh piece of land there that, that entire piece of property is not going to be all white Sox stuff uh my question is is you know obviously our, our our governor has come out and said that you know he doesn't feel good about state dollars going to a sports venue or a private you know uh, a private group do we th- my I, my thought is is you know if they're going to build these high rises and these condos and these other attractions around the ballpark and, you know, the University of Illinois is going to have some kind of tech building or something there. Um, 
do we think that Jerry Reinsdorf is going to try to sell this thing is like, well, hey, you know, the fact that my my stadium is going to be the centerpiece of this thing, right? And this is going to be the big draw of the area. Do you think that he's going to try to work some deal out that way where because he's going to be the big reason why this area, not just because it's brand new and up and coming and beautifying an area that it's really been in need of it for a long time, but he's going to sell this. Well, you know, we got these high rises going up. Well, your high rises, your property value is going to be a lot more because of my stadium and my, you know, entertainment district that's going to be in there. What do you guys, you know, think of that kind of thing? I mean, as far as the, uh, the, the taxpayer thing goes, I mean, one thing that I've heard said is that, uh, you know, he, uh, it's been being said that it's not going to cost the tax taxpayers any more money than it's costing them currently. And if that's the case, then, I mean, that's cool and all. I mean, I personally, I've always been of the, the thought that if the owner of the team gets to reap all the benefits of that building and, uh, they're already billionaires and uh, if they can pick up and leave or build a new stadium, they should have to pay for it. They shouldn't leave somebody else holding the bag because if they leave uh, guaranteed rate, that's, you know, Illinois got a baseball field. What do they do with it? I mean, I guess they could repurpose it. I mean, it's still in good shape. Um, just to me, it's it seems like um, the state does, you know, the state's not going to get enough back from having that new stadium and they certainly don't get enough out of the the current one and uh you know we've also me and you Danny have had this talk that uh if you get into a financial deal with uh Jerry Reinsdorf you can pretty much just consider that you know like automatically just resign yourself to the fact that you're probably going to come up on the short end of the stick in one way or the other right so I think you uh, know, he hasn't like, gotten to where he is without being a, a, a very convincing uh, real estate salesman, you know, yeah. uh, investor. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, like when it comes couldn't to he, Danny, couldn't he get involved in that real estate? Couldn't he say, well, I just don't want to only do the stadium. I also want to get involved in the high rises. You know, I, I want to be involved in some of the properties and residential stuff that's being built. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great possibility. Uh, I don't know where his head, I, you know, obviously I can't speak to where his head is on that. Uh, and you know, what kind of legacy that leaves behind. We all know that he's getting a little bit long in the tooth here. Uh, and you know, really depends on what his endeavors are for the, uh, the, you know, the final stages of, of Jerry's life. Did, did, uh, did the Ricketts uh, gobble up properties around Wrigley? Absolutely. They did. Yeah. You know, like um, a large amount of the properties around Wrigley field. Yeah. But it's there not, are still you know, some holdouts, but there's not twin, you know, like I, 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 if Jerry was going to get involved, I could fully see him like, uh, figuring out a way to build, you know, the twin Jerry's out in like right field, you know, just two high rises of condos, you know, I, I could totally see him doing something along those lines, um, but the new the new iconic river buildings that you know taking over. <laughs> yeah, I mean i i could I could totally see him doing something along those lines, but you know, again, you know, 
at this point. Who knows? I mean, we got uh, five five seasons of baseball until that thing will be open. If they do figure that out, well, so and it's the other thing too. Do you, even if a stadium is built in this in this amount of time, as somebody who has worked in the trades, uh, there's no way that what we see in artist renderings now is going to be complete by the time the 2029 season's over and we're looking into rolling into the 2030 season. Well, the ballpark, even if this, if right, if the ballpark is done, the rest of that property is not, it's going to take some time. It could, it could take a decade or or more beyond that before that property um, does in renderings. I I mentioned it to Pat. Yeah. I I lived in Washington DC for a couple of years uh, towards the end of uh, the Robin Ventura uh, managerial experience. And what I mean, what happened around uh, the Navy Yards, which is the neighborhood where the Nationals Park was built, that's a, that was a really nice stadium, revitalized nice that now. neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Excuse me? It's a nice area now. It, oh, yeah, nice area now. wasn't like that years ago. And for the first several years that that ballpark was around, I mean, they just had hodgepodge stuff out around the stadium where we're going to put some rail cars around and make little tailgating spots. And But they had these bigger visions, you know. And, yeah, it takes several years. But now, I mean, boy, they've got these high-rises and restaurants and bars and properties everywhere. So you kind of make do for a few years. Just let's get the park in there. Let's show that we, you know, what's going to happen with this neighborhood at people bidding to be in there and then and then you'll start seeing things pop up. Yeah, I think we went there in I think we went to a Nationals game in 2018. What was the last year Harper was there? Was it 18? It was 18, right? And they uh well, I'm trying to remember. Uh, the big free agency of yeah, I thought what the free agency it? was yeah, 18. Yeah, that was his last year because then because we're we're at the we were just at the five year anniversary of the whole Machado Harper thing. So, yeah, yeah, right. So uh yeah, so when we walked uh to get to the park, um we walked through a bunch of you know, like a couple of streets there right around the park where still like there was uh wooden walls built on the on the sides of the street because they were working on the buildings there and now mm-hmm. it's all now oh, yeah. it's all done yeah. and i i kind of see that that's yeah. probably what's going to happen um the park will be done um immediate restaurants that are attached to the ballpark will be done but the area right around it's going to take going to take some time uh good conversations <laughs> uh lots of lots of good stuff in here um always fun hanging out with you guys yes yeah. indeed futuresocks.net you can find written uh materials from future socks uh uh articles from nick murowski um james fox um sleepy herald uh, elijah evans um there's all sorts of stuff over there um you can also find uh this podcast there um you can also find this podcast in uh from any of your favorite purveyors of podcasts uh, you can find this in video form at uh, twitch.tv slash, vid- uh, slash future socks slash videos. You can also find this on YouTube. Uh, our Twitter is at future socks. You can also support us on Patreon. We would appreciate it if you did. Um, my name is Ian Eskridge at Daily White Sox. Uh, he is Nick Murawski, Nick GGTB, and with the corrected nameplate on the end over there, Danny Miller at Danny Miller FS. 
We thank you so much for coming and hanging out. We thank you for watching. We thank you for listening. Uh, we will see you guys next week at the same time. We are trying to keep this time slot, so look for us. Uh, you will see us on Twitter. Uh, we thank you guys. Have a great night, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks.